Amen. Thank you, musicians, singers. Appreciate your ministry this morning. If you have your Bibles, would you turn them to Acts chapter 14? We're going to read verses 8 through 18 and then verses 21 through 23 in a moment. I want to uh, preach my harvester's message this morning. This week, we begin our harvester's homecoming for our pioneers launched out into the harvest field and from this church. I was very conflicted because uh, I wanted to preach, felt like I had something relevant to say, but I also knew that I wanted bringing somebody in from a conference church, you got a keynote speaker, I wanted to give uh, Pastor Ruby as many slots as we could, and so I didn't want to take his time away, and then we have our pioneer pastors, which the church here needs to hear from and hear what God's doing, and so you hear from me all the time, and talking to the guys in the field, they listen to sermons online, so it's not like they're unfamiliar, and so I decided this morning to preach my harvester's message this morning. I talked to our pastors and told them, hey, uh, this is my harvester's message, so maybe you can key in on it sometime this week, and and uh, and listen to it. And so uh, my message this morning is entitled Contending for a Fruitful Season. That's the message of the, of the Harvester's Homecoming. That's the uh, title, if you will. And uh, so uh, this is the theme that I felt inspired about is that all of us at any stage in life desire to be fruitful and we want fruitful seasons in our lives, whether it's fruitful in witnessing, in our ministries, in our careers, in finding a marriage partner, whatever we're doing in life, we desire to be fruitful. And the hope that we have is that God can move in the midst of life and do something unplanned and unique. He can do something unexpected. I love the scripture in Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 2. I was thinking of it right before church. He says, O oh Lord, revive your work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make it known. That's God. In the midst of the years, in the midst of life, God can do something fresh. God can do something new. And that is our hope, uh, amen, for harvesters is that churches that have been laboring some, some over a decade, uh, uh, you know, some for many years, they've been slugging it up. And so, you know, their thinking is, man, it's just, this is kind of the way it's always been. Well, listen, in the midst of the years, God can revive his work. In the midst of the years, God can grant a fruitful season to the laborers in the harvest field. In the midst of the years of your life, whether it be your job, your marriage, whatever it may be in your life, God can visit you in a special way and do something unplanned and unique. And that's our hope. And as a mother church hosting the Harvester's Homecoming, we desire for us to be fruitful and for the works we plan to be fruitful. And this desire is not aimlessly hoping for the best, but it's rooted in the promises of Scripture. If we're just, you know, have some kind of Pollyannic type hopes, and well, I hope it all turns out, we, that would be one thing. But we have promises from Scripture that said that these things can and will happen because of the promises of the Word of God, then we can take hope in that and believe in that. So let's go ahead and read uh, Acts chapter 14. We're going to read verses 8 through 18, then skip down to verse 21. 
And so it says, And in Lystra, a certain man without strength in his feet was sitting, a cripple from his mother's womb, who had never walked. This man heard Paul, uh, this man heard Paul speaking. Paul, observing him intently and seeing that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, Stand up straight on your feet. And he, leapt, and he leaped and walked. Now when the people saw what Paul had done, they raised their voices, saying in the Lycanonian language, The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. And Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. Then the priest of Zeus, whose temple was in front of their city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates, intending a sacrifice to the multitudes. When the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard this, they tore their clothes and ran in among the multitude, crying out, Men, why are you doing these things? We are also with men, we are also men with the same nature as you, and preach to you that you should turn from these useless things to the living God who made the heaven, the earth, the sea, and all things that are in them, who in bygone generations allowed all nations to walk in their own ways. Nevertheless, he did not leave himself without witness in that he did good gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. And with these things, they could scarcely restrain the multitudes from sacrificing to them. Skip down to verse 21. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith and saying, we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. So when they had appointed elders in every church, and pray with fasting. They committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. And so I want to look at the glorious hope for a fruitful season. In our text, God is pouring out His Spirit in miracles. Uh, uh, Someone lame from birth is being healed. Uh, The outpouring of God's Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Ghost is happening in the book of Acts. Uh, And as a result, this is causing some people to glorify them as some kind of deity. They said, uh, you know, they, 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 they called Barnabas Zeus and, and Paul Hermes, uh, and they wanted to sacrifice to them. And so uh, there was, this, is, this is causing a great stir in the city around them. But Paul understood what was going on and explained to them, this is not a result of them having some kind of unique power or that they had some kind of, you know, gifting in themselves. But he said, this is a result of a sovereign move of God. And he says there in verses 16 and 17, he said, who in bygone generations allowed all nations to walk in their own way. So what's he saying is that Things are just continuing along the way. What does Peter said? Uh, the last days that, that uh, things will continue on as, as they were. You know, th- things are just like they were from the beginning. And then verse 17, nevertheless, he did not leave himself without witness in that he did good and gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. Uh, and so, you know, Paul's not just speaking about 
you know, natural harvest field. He's talking about this is a unique outpouring from God. This is coming from God. This is not because we're special people. We're just participating in the outpouring of God's spirit. We're in God's time frame uh, as we participate in that. Uh, that's why you think we're something special. And this was true of the Jesus people movement. Any revival in history, uh, uh, many times uh, with these revivals, you begin to think that there's a, you know, special people. I'm not saying that there's not gifted people, that there's not you know, people that God uses in a unique way. We can look at Pastor Mitchell and his unique gifting and his unique vision, and we know that he was a unique uh, man, a unique pioneer. But he always said, this is a work of God. This is a work of God. This is something that God's doing. It's not just uh, me and who I am. He, you know, he flailed along for years, uh, uh, quit the ministry twice, you know, until God began to pour out his spirit in the Jesus people movement. So, so there's this uh, uh, glorious hope for a fruitful season because of what God does. And when I was praying about the theme for our harvester, I said, you know, God wants to give our churches a fruitful season. He wants to do something in the midst of the years to help them. And I believe as we pray for that, that's going to, that's going to position us for a move of God. You know, Paul understood what was going on, and he said that in this thought, he said, listen, I'm just like anybody else. Let me read verses 14 through 17. He says, but when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard this, they tore their clothes and ran in among the multitudes, crying out, men, why are you doing these things? We are also men with the same nature as you, and preach to you that you should turn from these useless things to the living God who made the heaven, the earth, the sea, and all things that are in them, who in bygone generations allowed all nations to walk in their, way, in their own ways. Uh, nevertheless, he did not leave himself without witness in that he did good. Gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. There's a key verse in verse 15. He says, we are men with the same nature as you. He said, we're just like everybody else. There's that famous scripture in James chapter 5 that talks about prayer. In verses 17 and 18, it says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain in the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. And so God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. That's the great hope of the gospel. You know, one of the glorious hopes we have in the gospel is that God does use ordinary people for extraordinary things. I just had a number of thoughts run through my mind. We don't have to be a certain level of intellect. In Acts 4.13, it says, I didn't didn't put these scriptures up, so. But it says, then when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, perceived that they were uneducated, uneducated and untrained men, they marveled and they realized that they had been with Jesus. Acts chapter 4, lame men had been healed at the gate of the temple. And they looked at Peter and John. Who are these guys? Oh, they're unlearned and edu- uneducated men. But they realized they'd been with Jesus. We don't have to be beautiful. Isaiah 53, t- 2, verse talks about Jesus. For he shall grow before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness. And when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. Jesus wouldn't have been on GQ magazine, Man of the Year, 
We don't have to have great physical or speaking ability. 2 Corinthians 10, 10, Paul, talking about Paul, says, For his letters, they say, are weighty and powerful, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech contemptible. That's the guy who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. That's what they're saying about him. We don't have to be wealthy. James 2, verse 5 says, Listen, my beloved brethren, has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? We don't even have to be healthy. 1 Timothy 5, 23. I thought this one right before church. Paul writes to Timothy, No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for your stomach's sake and your frequent infirmities. Frequent infirmities. Timothy was sick a lot. So what did Paul say? Well, you know what? You're sick a lot. You need to pull out of the ministry. No, he said, you know what? Just, you know, do what you got to do. Now, they didn't have Pepto-Bismol back in the day, so, you know... Uh, he said, take a little wine, you know, do what you got to do to get by. Some people use that, yeah, well, I got some infirmities. I got a, my marijuana card, and that kind of helps me get to the day. <laughs> the glorious hope we have of participating in a fruitful season is serving a God who is faithful to provide them. I love that phrase in beginning of verse 17. He did not leave himself without witness that every once in a while there's so many scriptures that I could use but God every once in a while just shows up just to show hey I'm still here hello everybody you know earthquakes different things tsunami hello everybody I'm still here remember me Last week, we read out of Haggai 2, he says, For once more, says the Lord of hosts, once more, it's a little while, I will shake heaven and earth. You see, you know, I'm going to shake things up every once in a while. I'm going to do something every once in a while. You know, God doesn't just shake heaven and earth, but sometimes he shakes people up. You can be going through life. You know that verse 16, Who in bygone generations allowed all nations to walk in their ways. How do you know he lets people walk in their ways? for years and sometimes he'll come along you know shake him up he'll do something I had a friend that uh, many years ago his wife was coming to church and she was always preaching to him and telling him man you need to get saved you're gonna miss the rapture you're gonna get saved you're gonna miss the rapture and so uh, this guy said yeah whatever you know just, uh, just preaching again just blowing her off and then uh, one night she had got up at, uh, in like midnight to, to take, go take care of one of the kids or whatever, and she was in the living room and, and had the child, and, and she, you know, she's like calmed him down and everything and just had him, she was kind of in a place where you couldn't see, and so this guy wakes up in the middle of the night, and his wife's gone. He goes in his, in his child's bedroom, and he doesn't see his child, and so he starts freaking out because he thought he missed the rapture and he wound up getting saved. You know, you know, sometimes God will do things to shake you up at times. And so this is why as Christians, we should always be looking for and contending for a fruitful season in our life because God says, I will not leave myself without witness. I may let things go on for a while, but every once in a while, I'm going to do something that's going to surprise you. 
And that's all throughout the scripture. Uh, you read Ezekiel in different times, says, my fury will come up in my, you know, in other words, I'm going to show you who I am. Think about Elijah. I won't read the scripture, but in 1 Kings 18, where he's praying for rain, and he prays and he, he prays and he sees a cloud as small as a man's hand. What that means is he's looking up at the sky. He sees a cloud off the distance about the size of his hand. And so he says, hey, it's going to rain. It's going to rain. He's expectant. You know, we hear something as Christians, and sometimes we go crazy, you know. Asbury, this is it. Here it comes, you know. Size of a man's hand. Now, that's, you know, you can't just, uh, you know, go crazy with stuff like that. But still, there should be an expectancy. God, is this the next outpouring? You know, we, there should be a hope in us that, hey, God, we believe you're going to give us a fruitful season, whether he gives it to him there or in some locale. We should take heart that God can be going along. And what happened on that campus? Things were just going along the way they were, allowing people to walk in their own ways. And God says, you know what? I don't want to leave myself without witness here. I'm just going to do something. I want to look next to preparing for a fruitful season. This next point is kind of to the church here. What we can do as a mother church to maximize the fruitfulness of our upcoming harvesters homecoming. And so if we're going to minister to those coming for harvester, there are some things we can keep in mind and focus on. And so one of those things is focusing on strengthening those who come. Pioneering can be a very wearying thing, and sometimes lots of labor without seeing a lot of outward fruit can be very discouraging. There's financial strains and all kinds of things that happen when you're pioneering a church. But this is why Paul spent a lot of his time in strengthening other people. In verses 21 through 23, it says, when they had preached the gospel to that city, there's, I skipped some verses there, so you can go back and read that, and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith, and saying, we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. So when they had appointed elders in every church and prayed with fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. And so this is Paul establishing workers and laborers in other cities. And so he spent a lot of time strengthening them. And this is what Harvesters is intended to, is to, intended to strengthen the workers that come, to renew their vision. And, you know, how badly do pastors that are out there laboring away, you know, they, uh, they badly need strength. They're full of fears and their labors are in vain and they think there's no hope of breakthrough. And, and we, you know, all kinds of things coming against their lives. I think about Nehemiah. When Nehemiah is rebuilding the temple, he's trying to do a work from God. He's got a vision from God, but there's uh, Sambalat and Tobias, all these things coming against him, people are speaking against him, uh, people aren't cooperating with him, uh, that he's trying to get the help to rebuild the temple. And then in Nehemiah 6, verse 9, it says, they were all trying to make us afraid, saying their hands will be weakened in the work, and it will not be done. Now, therefore, O God, strengthen my hands. Nehemiah is crying out. He says, man, these things are impacting me. Uh, these problems are wearing me down. Uh, these battles are causing me to be weary. He says, God, I need your strength. 
so we need to strengthen those that are coming. One of the ways we can strengthen others is by renewing and building relationships with them. You know, just telling people, hey, we, we're praying for you. We pray for, you know, most of our works every service. We lift up our pioneer works. We're believing for revival in your city. We can also tell them we appreciate them. We appreciate your labor and sacrifice, and we believe that God's going to reward it at some point. So continue on. You know, Hebrews 6, 10 through 12 says, uh, For God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love, which you have shown toward his name, uh, name, in that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end, that you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. We have a role as a mother church in ministering to those coming for direction and strengthening. God wants to strengthen his people. Isaiah 28, 5 and 6. In that day, the Lord of hosts will be for a crown of glory and a diadem of beauty to the remnant of his people. The remnant of people, those are the ones that are left. Those are the ones that are still hanging in there. Those are the ones that, that stay when everybody else is left. And so, you know, sometimes pastors, they're bringing their remnant, you know, to the remnant of his people for a spirit of justice to him who sits in judgment and for strength to those who will turn back the battle at the gate. And so God wants to strengthen his workers. How can we do this? One way is that we can be a friend. This week, introduce yourself to someone from another church. Make them feel welcome. Let them know who you are. Get their phone number. Pray for them, you know. Establish a relationship. See, a vision that is communicated to others can hold them during difficult seasons of their lives and ministry. It's interesting that it, not all of you were here for Sunday school, but it's very interesting that Pastor Greg was talking today about how he was in uh, Tasmania and that, you know, these people had never been to their cap, so they have no reference point. But when you expose them to a conference... Or expose them to, hey, this is, you know, this is bigger than, I th- you know, man, I'm part of something that's a lot bigger than just my little pioneer church in my city. A vision that is communicated to others can hold them during difficult seasons of their lives and ministry. If you can protect your vision, if you understand you're part of something that's bigger than your just local church, it can hold you. I'm not going to read the scripture, but in Acts chapter 26, Paul's giving his testimony uh, as he's imprisoned in Rome, and he's talking, he's talking about King Agrippa, how he got saved and God touched his life, uh, and that how, and, and a few later verses, he says, so I said, who are you, Lord? He said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, but rise and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to make you a minister and a witness, both of the things which you have seen and the things which I will yet reveal to you. I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles, to whom I now send you to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Therefore, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. All the, all the things that Paul went through in his ministry, all the uh, uh, blowback and persecution and trials and different things that he went through, uh, the beatings and all kinds of things, uh, he said he was able to endure that because he said, I had a vision from God. 
And a vision can carry you for, it can carry you for your whole life. You know, you talk about Paul when he's uh, in 2 Corinthians 12 where he talks about, he says, I know a man 14 years ago who was caught up in the spirit. And so he didn't, you know, he didn't have that every day of his life. But he remembered how God touched him 14 years ago. And, and he wasn't experiencing that all the time. And, you know, God may touch you in a unique way. And God can touch people in a unique way in a harvester's homecoming or a conference. And they remember how God touched them. They're showing the video this morning of Sunday school. And I remember standing outside in Prescott to, waiting in line all day to get in just to hear the word of being preached over the pulpit, to hearing the song, Go Ye, every conference, and it never got old. And I can look back on that. And that's still part of that is still carrying me today. It's a calling of God. And we need to renew that vision for that call. So how can I reach out to someone I don't know? Be friendly. Proverbs 18, 24, a man who has friends must himself be friendly. That's a thought, isn't it? But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And so you can't just sit in your corner and wait for somebody to come and talk to you sometimes. Sometimes you've got to, you know, you move into that uncomfortable arena. You have to risk rejection. That's part of preaching the gospel to shake somebody's hand, sit down and eat a donut with them at the donut break and just encourage them. See, our example as the mother church is what gets spiritually transmitted, our spirit. Uh, just a couple weeks ago or last week, Pastor Julio took a group up to Marietta and a lot of Arturo's converts weren't, they, you know, they're not used to outreaching, but our people showed them how to witness. Our people showed them how to, you know, how to do this. So they're learning as they go. So there's something that, that's not our church. It's a Tucson church, but it's, you know, you see, there's a vision that's communicated. There's a spirit that's caught. When Paul spoke to the Thessalonian church in 1 Thessalonians 1, 5 through 8, he said, for our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and the Holy Spirit and in much assurance as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake, and you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction, with joy of the Holy Spirit, so you became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believe. For from you, the word of the Lord has sounded forth, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith toward God has gone out, so that we do not need to say anything. And Paul was saying, this Thessalonian church, he said, you're having an impact all over the place. Your example, your spirit is finding expression in other cities. And that's what our hope is as a mother church, is that our spirit, our example, would be manifest in the people who come for our harvesters. I want to close this morning and talk about the importance of prayer and fruitful seasons. In verse 23 of our text, it says, when they had appointed elders in every church and prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So don't forget prayer tomorrow night. Our text mentions that in verse 17, that he did not leave himself without witness, but that he did good and gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. And all throughout the Bible, there's God's promises of fruitful seasons of revival. 
And all the promises of God, you know, pouring out his spirit are closely connected with prayer. In Acts chapter 2, it says that they were gathered together praying and the Holy Ghost fell. So it wasn't, they weren't just walking around. They weren't just, uh, you know, gathered together, just, you know, fellowshipping. They were, they were all together praying. All of a sudden, the Holy Ghost fell. So spiritual impact comes from prayer. In Joel chapter 2, 28 and 29, the great promise that most of you know these scriptures says, in the, in, It shall come to pass that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And also on my men servants and my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. Afterward, it shall come to pass afterward. After what? Well, Joel 2, 12 and 13 says, Now therefore, says the Lord, turn to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, with mourning. So rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and he relents from doing harm. And so the, the outpouring of the God's spirit is saying afterward from turning to me in prayer. One of the things that God promises is the latter rain. We believe that last day's revival is the latter rain revival. Joel 2, 23 says, Be glad, you children, be glad then, you children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given you the former rain faithfully, and he will cause the rain to come down for you, the former rain and the latter rain in the first month. Commentary on this is the former rain was the autumn rain, which is needed to mellow the earth and to fit it to receive the corn and fruits and the plant and sold in about September. The latter rain needed to bring forth and ripen the fruits planters sown account of the latter rain because these husbandmen and vine dressers reckoned from seed time unto spring and harvest. And so there was an initial rain in planting time to ignite the growth and then there was a latter rain to bring the growth to a place of harvest. And so we know that the outpouring of God's Spirit is going to, you know, happen in Acts chapter 2, that God poured out His Spirit, and that's the, that's the fulfillment of Joel chapter 2. But with God, there's a former rain, and we believe in the last days there's going to be a latter rain. There's going to be a, even a greater outpouring of the Spirit. And we read in Haggai 2 last week, you know, the glory of the latter house shall be greater than the former. One of my favorite scriptures on prayer is Zechariah chapter 10, verse 1. It says, Ask the Lord for rain in the time of the latter rain. The Lord will make flashing clouds. He will give them showers of rain, grass in the field for everyone. Now, God has promised the latter rain. He said he's going to give the latter rain. But what does Zechariah say? Ask the Lord for rain in the time of the latter rain. And I believe that's a picture of us. We know that God has promised in the last days to pour out his spirit. But it doesn't mean that we should stop praying for that. It doesn't mean just because God said he's going to do it that we can just kick back. He said, ask the Lord for rain in the time of the latter rain. And he'll make flashing clouds. He'll give them showers of rain, grass in the field for everyone. So there's something about cooperating with God in prayer for a visitation 
and we believe. You know, you plan things and God shows up, you know? But you know, when you pray for it and plan it, it just makes it that much better. It just adds a dimension to it. You know, God's faithful to, to bless, you know, things. But years ago, I read a book, and the guy was talking about how God, you know, submits himself to our church service times. You know, we say, God, we're going to be here at 11 o'clock on Sunday morning. And you know what God does? He shows up, doesn't he? He shows up every week. Isn't that just blow your mind that he's just, uh, okay, 11 o'clock, I'll be there. You know, there's nothing the Bible says, 11 o'clock on Sunday morning, thou shalt worship God. But we, we, we make a schedule, and God says, okay, I'll be there. But how many of you know when you pray, it just changes the dynamics so much? We need to pray for, uh, in partnership with the labors in the harvest field, 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 1. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may run swiftly and be glorified just as it is with you. We need to pray that God's word being preached to our, by our pioneer pastors are... God begins to bless that word. Converts begin to be made. Uh, people that maybe are uh, lukewarm begin to get on fire and something takes place in their lives. I want to end this message with a few verses from Ezekiel 36. Ezekiel 36 is one of the great chapter promises in the Bible on revival in Ezekiel 36, 25 through 27. It says, Then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you, from all your, cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. And so this is what God says he's going to do, a sovereign move of God. He says he's going to give people a heart to believe. He's talking about revival, that he's going to put something in people, sovereign outpouring of God. But a little bit later in Ezekiel 36, uh, verses 33 through 37, he talks about how that revival is going to spread to other cities. He says, Thus says the Lord God, In the day that I cleanse you from all your iniquities, I will also enable you to dwell in the cities, and the ruins shall be rebuilt. The desolate land shall be tilled in, instead of lying desolate in the sight of all who pass by. So they will say, this land that was desolate has become like the Garden of Eden. And the wasted, desolate, ruined cities are now fortified and inhabited. You know, that's what God loves to do. I mean, you know, he loves to take people's lives that are destroyed by sin. But he likes to turn them into the Garden of Eden. Amen. They're all burnt out and, and destroyed and desolate. But God says, I can make you like the Garden of Eden. Then the nations which are left all around you shall know that I, the Lord, have rebuilt the ruined places and planted what was desolate. I, the Lord, have spoken it, and I will do it. Okay? God says, I'm promising this, and I'm going to do it. Okay? But wait, there's more. I, the Lord, have spoken it, and I will do it. Thus says the Lord God, I will also let the house of Israel inquire of me to do this for them. I will increase their, increase their men like a flock. So God says, I'm going to do this. This is going to be a sovereign move of God. But he says, I will also let the house of Israel inquire of me to do this for them. So here we see the beautiful cooperation between God pouring out in revival 
and our role in that. God says, I'm going to do this, but he says, I'm going to open up an opportunity for people to pray to me and require me to do this. And that's going to add fuel to the fire. And he says, I, he says, I will also let the house of Israel inquire me to do this for them, and I will increase their men like them. In other words, there's a greater dimension of God's blessing as we inquire of God for greater breakthrough. God's inviting us to pray for that. So the takeaway from all this is that God promises us fruitful seasons, and in that promise, he invites us to participate in those fruitful seasons. Amen. Let's bow our heads. Appreciate you this morning. Very excited for this week. It's coming upon us and lots of planning and lots of trying to figure things out. We're learning as we go. We don't have, we don't have everything all together. We do our best, but we know that God's going to bless as we pray, as we prepare, as we do our part, that God's going to show up. God's already promised to pour out His Spirit in the last days. God's always pro- already promised that He's, you know, he will not leave himself without witness. And that's our hope. And before we go any further in this service this morning, I just want to give an invitation. Maybe you're here this morning. You do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Maybe you're here this morning and you're backslidden, you're away from God. You know that scripture I read in Ezekiel 36, it talks about those that the ruins being rebuilt in cities and the desolate land be tilled. And so the land that was desolate has become like the Garden of Eden and the wasted, desolate, and ruined cities are now fortified and inhabited. You know, God can take, that's a picture of a life before Jesus Christ. Sin has defeated, sin has robbed that life of everything good. But God says, I want to rebuild that. I want to fill that life again. I want to cleanse that, that temple of your body. And I want to inhabit your body. Amen. I want to live inside of you, cleanse you, help you, deliver you. And I understand this morning that's a process. There's no magic wand that makes everything go away overnight. But there is a great promise in Scripture that, you know what, God's able to look at a life that's been destroyed and put us back on our feet and give us a vision and a purpose uh, and put a song in our heart, amen. Pull us up out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and put our feet upon the rock of Jesus Christ. If that's you this morning, maybe you came to this service today and you're unsaved, you're backslidden, you know you need God and you know God's moving upon you. That's the sovereign move of God. The next step is for you to respond. The next step is for you to say, I know I need Jesus Christ. I know I'm not right with God. I know I'm backslidden. I know I've never been saved, and I need to turn to God. You have to pray. That scripture says, I will allow people to inquire of me for this. You know, God's opening the door. If you just ask him to change you, he'll change you. If you just ask him to forgive you, he'll forgive you. If you just ask him to move in your circumstances, he will do that, but he wants you to ask. God's not going to force his way in your life. Jesus said, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hear my voice, I will come into him. And so if you're here this morning and you're away from God by any means, either unsaved or backslidden, you need Jesus Christ, 
slip up your hand, put it right back down. God will help you today if you'll be honest before God. God sees that hand. Anybody else? Amen. You lift up your hand this morning. God wants to help you. Anybody at all, you need salvation, you need to turn back to God. Slip up your hand, put it right back down. Church, this morning, we, you know, it's easy just to go along with the schedule. And I thank God for every faithful person here. I thank God for your faithfulness and, and your diligence. It's unbelievable. It's, it's such a great testimony to what's been built here over the decades, uh, Pastor Lavalley, and what he's put into everybody here. But, you know, it's, it's, um, it's also good not to just be faithful, but recognize that there's seasons that I can do something a little extra. I can pray. I can fast and pray tomorrow and believe God to do something unique in this harvesters. I can, I can be a part of ministering to those who show up here. I can be faithful to the harvesters over the weekend, and I can try to create a friend, uh, you know, make a friend or renew friendships of people that I already know in other churches and, and speak encouragement to a pastor and uh, just put dignity upon people's lives because we realize that God has a great destiny for many churches, amen. He can come along in the middle of life. Habakkuk, you know, revive me in the midst of the years, God. God says, I will do that because I will not leave myself without witness. So, amen, maybe uh, God would have you make an altar and ask him how you can be a part of what he's doing. Amen, let's stand this morning and uh, sing a worship song. Hallelujah.